Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about doing nothing. We discuss the phenomenon of foreign accent syndrome. We present the Dutch art of doing nothing. We present the world's oldest flight attendant. We say bye-bye to landlines. And we list the top five regrets of the dying. The old dog's conversation is with Mark Cashman. Like me, he is an expert at coaching people to do voiceovers. Stay with us. Well, Paul, I can't imagine what's on your mind today. you got to tell me. Uh, well, I'll tell you. In, in our episode, our current episode, uh, we have a piece about the Dutch art of doing nothing. Yes, we do. <laughs> and I'm all and, behind it. Yep. You know, they, they, you'd think that'd be something you wouldn't have to work at. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but I can worry about it. <laughs> yeah, according to this piece, it's important that you practice doing nothing yeah uh, so that you know you don't just sit there and find out you're accidentally doing something yeah doesn't that much, seem bizarre to you much more complicated than i wanted it to be now what is this concept of nothing this is almost like uh, existential stuff right nothing yeah uh, the nearest i can figure is like taking a nap <laughs> and <laughs> doggone i'm already good at that okay. i don't need to practice yeah but it's it seems to be less than that it's oh. all of this and less oh okay well i can always deliver less in a sense you know if you talk about nothing like zen uh meditation where you clear your mind of everything right and sit there and do nothing is the act of sitting doing something hey you're asking me yeah. <laughs> not... all right so uh, give me an example of what you think doing nothing is Okay, something mindless. Uh, well, of course, I'm being quippy now, but you know, there's some television shows that you watch, and, and they're mindless. Wouldn't that qualify? I would say so, yes. Like Three's Company. Three. Uh, you know. <laughs> but I, I guess the thing that got me is th there, there was a haughtiness about how this was explained in the article, like, mm -hmm. oh, you can't just, without practicing, empty your mind and, and do nothing. Uh, you know, this, come on, give me some credit. I've been practicing for, you know, 76 years on doing nothing. I can do that. I think you're pretty good at what you think is doing nothing. I've seen it. Ah, uh, okay. Well, you know, we've been accused of doing nothing when it comes to our podcast. Has that really occurred to you at all? Oh, who? Who has been saying that? Well, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I guess the thing is, how do you practice doing nothing is that's something that should just be automatic <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what we're doing here paul it just occurred What's that? we're doing a seinfeld episode right now yeah oh yes oh yes the whole tv series about nothing we yeah. are we are doing we're doing that well be that as it may i think you're still avoiding the question of what exactly is doing nothing oh oh, oh really okay yeah, yeah. Well, okay, for the next five seconds, I'm going to empty my mind. 
Oh my God. I, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't feel anything. That was really amazing, Paul. I think you should go on the road with that. I think so too. I think I should write a book. And I think you should leave now. I think we're done. <laughs> if you find yourself talking in a foreign accent uncontrollably, you may have foreign accent syndrome. This pod nugget is from the Sky News for February 17th, 2023. Okay, you're not going to believe this one. A man in the U.S. was undergoing treatment for prostate cancer when he suddenly started talking in an Irish accent. The man had never visited Ireland or had any exposure to things Irish. While doctors couldn't cure it, they did have a name for it. The man was suffering from foreign accent syndrome, which causes sufferers to start speaking in different accents. According to the British Medical Journal, this is an uncommon disorder in some people who have cancer. So, if you find yourself talking in an Irish accent, it may be time for a complete physical. Unless, of course, you are actually Irish. In which case, forget the advice and order another pint of Guinness. Sounds good. We are reaching overload with the Swedish art of this and the Neanderthal art of that. And now we have the Dutch art of doing nothing. Okay, this sounds like something I could excel at. This pod nugget is from the website The Learning Curve. When is the last time you did nothing? Not scrolling the internet or downing two-for-one drinks at a happy hour. Nothing is nothing. And the Dutch have a knack for it. Now, they are the first country to coin a term for the splendor of laziness, but they only needed one word, nixa. Now, that's lazy. <laughs> to nixa, you need to be idle without trying to be productive or fulfill a purpose. For example, if you work remotely and you take a break to empty the dishwasher, that is not nixa. You are being productive, so stop it. Even if you sit doing nothing, but you're mentally doing something, like making a to-do list, you're doing something. This gets kind of tricky. And keep in mind that the time must be free of purpose and productivity. Now, here's the biology. Your frontal lobe, which is involved with decision-making, gets fatigued the more cognitive load is put on it. Nixa allows your frontal lobe to throttle down. When you reduce the cognitive load, your frontal lobe has more energy when you return to your normal activities. It's all about balance. We need moments to breathe and recover. So when we return to the active part of our life, we're fully engaged in feeling rested. Now, I have been practicing Nixa for years without realizing it. I've been calling it a nap. <laughs> In days past, flight attendants were called stewardesses, and they always seemed young and glamorous. Well, those times have changed. Say hello to the oldest flight attendant. This pod nugget is from Nice News for February 11th, 2023. Betty Nash started flying 65 years ago. The year was 1957. You could buy an airline ticket for $12, and cigarettes and matches were handed out after meals. Her first uniform included a pillbox hat and white gloves. You know, me too. <laughs> uh, this year, at the age of 86, Betty Nash was recognized by the Guinness Book of Records as the longest-serving flight attendant. She can still remember the days when tickets were handwritten and reservations were not required. 
Since 1961, she has flown the same route, New York to Washington, D.C. to Boston. This route has become known as the Nash Dash. She's still going strong at a job that can be physically demanding. That a way to howl at the moon, Betty. Can you remember the days when corded telephones weren't called landlines? They were just called telephones. Well, telephones attached by wires to telephone poles are going the way of eight-track tape players. This pod nugget is from the Daily Upside for January 26, 2023. Today, roughly 70% of households use just cell phones for communication, and that number is growing. AT&T is getting out of the business of running phone lines to telephone poles. They're reducing their copper wire footprint and beefing up their fiber optics and 5G networks. You know, you can still have a home phone that resembles a landline, but it will connect to the Internet, not a telephone pole. And forget dialing 411 for directory assistance. It went away this month. You will have to Google a party to find out their phone number. As landlines go away, so will phone operators. In the 1970s, there were 420,000 phone operators in the country. In 2021, that number was down to just 4,000. Young people today watching old movies or maybe reruns of Laugh-In won't understand what a phone operator did. Grandpa, why did somebody have to help you dial a phone number? Uh, Don't try to explain. It'll just sound lame. It's only natural that we seniors occasionally take stock of our lives. During that process, we may uncover regrets about how we've lived. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that it's never too late to make positive changes in your life. This pod nugget is from the website Pocketworthy. Bronnie Ware is a former palliative care nurse whose job was tending to folks who were dying. Her conversations with patients often involved regrets about paths not taken. The result of her experiences is a book titled Top 5 Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. This book has been around for a few years and has been very popular. Over a million copies have been sold, and the book was translated into 29 languages. We offer up now her top five list as a meditation. Maybe some of these regrets will resonate with you. Number one, I wish I had lived a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish I had allowed myself to be happier. A regret can make you bitter or it can inspire you to make changes in your life. If one of these regrets is looming large for you, well, do something about it. The book offers advice for how you can address these issues positively while you still have some time. Yeah, so don't regret not reading this book. I regret not eating more chocolate. Oh, that's an easy one. I first heard about Mark Cashman because as a voice talent, audiobook narrator, and voiceover coach, I tend to hang around on websites that uh, people frequent if they are in this sort of business. And Mark Cashman is very well represented on those websites. Mark started his career in Hollywood writing funny radio commercials and moved on in the 20s and moved on in the 2000s to do voice...
and moved on in the 2000s to do voiceover work and eventually to coach people to do voiceovers and ultimately and ultimately to narrate over and ultimately to narrate over 200 audiobook titles mark has a lot to say about how the voiceover business has changed and evolved mark give us a, a feeling for how you came to voice work 44 years ago to specifically do one thing to write cast direct and produce radio commercials that was what i wanted to niche myself doing why did i decide that specific thing that particular thing i heard two guys on the radio and you know these people because we're all the same age stan freeberg and dick orkin yep stan freeberg was really the person who really started and took radio advertising and turned it upside down and actually just broke the mold and ushered in a whole new kind of advertising, advertising production, funny, humorous, witty, uh, uh, clever, just entertaining. The entertaining. client that comes to mind is Chung King. The, the most famous. That That is the oh. iconic campaign. I'm going to mm -hmm. give you a little backstory about that. Okay. So Stan Freeberg was a writer, producer, satirist, uh, had albums on many record labels, uh, RCA, uh, um, a lot of record labels, uh, Capitol Records, I think it was Capitol. Anyway, he, he was a satirist and he did the history of the United States and he, he just did, he was a full blown satirist, very funny, very entertaining, very clever guy. And after he, he had his success, an advertiser heard the album and said, I'd like you to do my radio campaign, but I'm a little bit skeptical as to whether or not it's going to move the needle. Freeberg says, oh, what's, what's, the, what's the product? Chungking chow mein, canned, canned <laughs> chow mein. And Freeberg says, if I, write, if I produce a radio campaign for you, if it doesn't do anything, I will pull you up La Cienega Boulevard in a rickshaw. <laughs> so Freeberg uh, does his campaign brilliant absolutely brilliant if anybody's listening I want you to go Google Stan Freeberg F-R-E-B-E-R-G Chung King Chow Main and listen to what he did with Chung King Chow Main um, it was so successful that a month later they had a picture in the LA Times of Stan Freeberg sitting in a rickshaw while the president of Chungking Chow Mein is pulling, pulling him up yep. Boulevard. I remember yeah. that picture. When I heard that campaign, I immediately just all of a sudden a light bulb went over my head and I said, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. If I could do anything in the world, that's what I'd love to do. And so I started preparing to come out to Los Angeles because that's where Stan Freeberg did his thing. And I figured then that's where I got to go. So I made preparations. I was teaching at the time, teaching a public school. And then I heard uh, Dick Orkin and Dick Orkin and Dick and Bert. And I realized, oh, my God, n now I really definitely want to do it. And then I found out that they also live in Los Angeles. I said, OK, this is the mecca of radio production. And when I got to Los Angeles, I, I not only saw they were doing their thing, but there were other people doing their thing as well. And this this city was the hub in the late 70s, early 80s of creative radio production. People said, so you just came out here and you started working? <laughs> Are you crazy? Started working? I was a nobody. I, I was a nobody. Nobody knew me. I didn't know. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything, anyone. I didn't have any contacts, nothing. I was starting totally from scratch. But since I came out here to do that, 
I devoted my days to do just that. Days, eight to five, every day, on the phone, calling agencies, calling contacts, calling ad agencies, talent agencies, everything, and basically laying the groundwork during the day. But since I wasn't working, I didn't have any clients, how was I going to make a living? Well, not during the day, initially, no. I had to spend my days getting clients and building my business, so have a second job. And I drove a limousine from five in the afternoon till one in the morning. I was only 29 years old at the time. I had plenty of energy. I could easily do my day job and then do an evening job. There's no problem. And still have a decent night's sleep and then, and then get up the next day. So I wasn't, I wasn't burning the candle at both ends, so to speak. I wasn't doing graveyard, which really screws you up. So I was driving in the evening and, and working during the day. And I did this over a period of four years. I was working during the day and driving at night. And finally, finally, in the end of my fourth year, I got a client who paid me in one month what I had made in four years. Wow. And fortunately, from that point on, I never looked back. So that was 40 years ago. But for the first four years, I was busting my butt, trying to, again, get clients here, clients there, and just, you know, supporting myself, but not really thriving until I finally, on my fourth year, got a huge client, huge campaign. Again, they paid me in four years worth of of driving and that was i was finally able to jettison that uh, that uh, second job and then just do this full time and um and i did that for about 20 30 years at least but then i saw the writing on the wall in terms of creative radio production creative radio production has basically after around 2000 started waning and ad agencies uh, started going directly to radio stations and basically having radio station announcers just basically do announcements. Hmm. So when I saw the writing on the wall there, I, I, I realized um, uh, there were some other areas that, that, that I could get into. And, and I started teaching 22 years ago. And that has been, my God, I, once I started that, I, I haven't looked back at, at, as well because there's been such a demand. And fortunately, I'm teaching it from a writer, a director, producer, and actor point of view. Radio is dead. Radio advertising is dead. You know, like you, I had my own business for 30 years and did very well nationally. But at about the same time, the request for creative radio advertising waned and waned to practically zero. And yet I have noticed that uh, in terms of what you'd coach people to do, uh, radio advertising is very high on your list of things that you train people to do. So what do you actually, see? Actually, it's more, it's actually radio and TV, but oh, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. the beauty of it is, is that again, if you can do radio, again, if you're a good actor, the, the applications are endless. Okay. Well, let's talk about the applications. What do you see the market for voice talent being right now? Commercials are the iceberg that you see above the water, but most voice work is below the water. It's 90%. And most voice work is non-broadcast e-learning uh, uh, modules and explainer videos and nonfiction audiobooks and instructional um, uh, materials and all sorts of stuff are non-broadcast. So the vast majority of voice work is done under the water. When I teach my students, I teach them to be voice actors so they can do any, inhabit any role whatsoever. 
Mark, we all know how competitive the voiceover market is these days. To what do you attribute your success in this crowded market? I'm not afraid to fail. Now, think about that. You, I, I know, Jim, that you're basically the same person. I, you have to be. In order for you to do what you were doing, we did the same thing about at the same time. Didn't even know e- either of us existed. But you, my friend, did it because it was something that you really felt that you had to do. And you weren't afraid to fail. Am I right? You're absolutely right. And, and that is what prevents a lot of people from accomplishing a lot of stuff is because they're afraid to fail. So therefore, they don't even do it. Okay, so with not being afraid to fail in mind, uh, let's talk about you and what may be next for you. I finished my first book seven years, eight years ago, but I've been working on my sequel and my second book, and I'm 85% of the way finished. Um, So this year, my goal is to finish my second book in the series. So that's one project. There's like maybe another project that you're talking about, huh? I've been thinking for, for years um, of, I see all these voiceover conventions, and I've always thought of putting together a coaches, a VO coaches convention, a convention just for coaches where what? everybody can meet each other. That's a great and idea. Each other and when work with each other and see them working with other people, and but basically make it coaches con vo coaches con or so or something like that uh, where again it's coaches oriented it's the focus is on let's say the top 30 or 40 coaches in the country well i enjoy getting an invitation i hope i make the cut now there's one other thing that i think is kind of on my mind and a lot of other people in the voiceover business and that is the subject of artificial intelligence uh, what's happening to a lot of voice uh, projects is that clients and even sometimes big-time clients are choosing artificial intelligence. This idea that there is a robot that can duplicate my voice or sound like a real person, what does that have to do with the industry that we're talking about right now? Um, I don't think that they have control over AI. I consider AI 12 horses, and you only have the reins for six. Hmm. We like to think we can control it. We can't. It's going to continue. It's not just going to take over our industry. It's going to take over the uh, the film industry as well. It's out of our control. It's going to get worse. And it's the only thing that I'm a doomsayer about. What can we do about it? I don't know. I really don't know. The genie is completely out of the bottle. You, I think the only way to fight it, and it's not really fighting it, is continually putting out brilliant, brilliant work that only a human being can do that no computer could ever match. Good good conversation, Mark. I've enjoyed uh, meeting you and talking with you. You too. You, 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 uh, too. you do not have what I would call a classical voice. You have a character no. voice. Yes, yes, very much so. But you have polished it and burnished it, and uh, it's working very well for you. Yeah, he has, it, what, over 200 audiobooks now, Mark? Is that right? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. which is just insane. I, I always say it's it's an honorable profession and it beats manual labor so um (laughs) i'm always down for that and yeah audiobooks is the only area of publishing for the past 20 years where you can see the the bell curve go this way everything else in publishing is the other way around but audiobooks have been continuously every single year it's the only growth area of publishing so um uh, anybody who's uh, interested in in audiobooks um 
there are thousands of books out there every day uh, that that need to be narrated and uh, it's a great profession and uh, it keeps you honest and humble well, I guess that's well, it. Sounds then. like an ending to me, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Honest and humble qualities we've tried to avoid in our careers. <laughs> well, it keeps us funny. <laughs> like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon. <laughs>